The following has been recorded at Cairn University. Any reproduction of this recording without the express permission of the university is prohibited. That was quite an introduction. I usually am introduced as Marty, but it's good to be here today. It's good to be back on campus of my alma mater. I graduated from here years ago. I won't tell you how many, but I taught here for uh, 30 plus years, and it's just good to see all of you. Thank you so much. I'm honored to be here. As we're going to think today, they told me to speak on anything related to uh, developing a biblical worldview, and I've chosen to focus on biblical worldview thinking. Sometimes we uh, have the idea that when our curriculum is integrated, that's it. But actually, there's a reason why it's integrated, and we're going to look at that briefly. Here at Karen, I'm, I'm sure that you're aware of this, a biblical worldview is, is a topic that sometimes, uh, maybe for some of you, is spoken about more than you would like. However, I know for sure that in our mission statement, all of you have memorized that, have you? Uh, yeah, surely. Right in the middle of it, um, we exist as a university to educate students to serve Christ in the church, society, and the world as biblically-minded, well-educated, and professionally competent people of character. And so I know that you're very familiar with that. I went out on the website to see what they happened to say to uh, prospective faculty members. And this is what's out there for prospective faculty members. Faculty and staff are committed to the integration of a biblical worldview and curriculum programs uh, and all programs, uh, including uh, athletics, I'm assuming, uh, hopefully. Uh, you know I coached here for a good number of years. I coached women. That was a long time ago when I could still run back and forth and so forth. But anyway, I want to add to this. Faculty and staff are committed to the integration of a biblical worldview in curriculum programs and activities. Why? For what purpose? So that what? So I'm going to ask you to do something. Pair up with one other person, and the person that you pair up with whose name starts, first name, starts closest to A in the alphabet, you get to talk. And I want you to finish that sentence, please, so that faculty and staff and students um, can say that they are a Christian university, uh, can assure Christian parents that their sons and daughters are in a safe environment for study. Well, it's much more, and I'm sure you know that, so turn and tell someone what you think it is if your name is closest to A. Okay, that's all the time I can give you, I'm sorry, but I hope you came up with some things. I didn't, I couldn't hear it, it just sounded like, I shouldn't say you were speaking in tongues, but it, was, it sounded like you were just garble, garble, garble. It, I could not understand it. Uh, you reminded me of a Chinese church where I spoke to their educators, and um, they all spoke English. But I asked them to do what you did, and they all started speaking in Chinese. And I just laughed, because obviously I couldn't understand that. But some of you may have said something like this, so that 
we can know God and his son Jesus and walk with him so that we can flourish as humans, enjoying life to the full as promised by our Savior. Those are wonderful, and I'm, I'm sure that that's an integral part of thinking biblically. But I'd like to add so that together, faculty, staff, and students, together we can develop biblical worldview thinking and acting that will be consistent wherever God leads us and in whatever field of study or vocation he leads us. So what is it? What is it to be biblically minded? What is biblical worldview thinking and how is it a product of an integrated curriculum that includes academics and athletics and social programs? We're gonna look at that for a little bit, but to begin, and I know that some of you will know this right off, maybe not, I'm not sure, but if you were to describe or define what a worldview is, uh, what would you say? Turn to the pair that you talked to before, and the one who didn't talk gets to speak, and I'm going to ask you if you will define or describe a worldview. Go ahead. Thank you. Now, raise your hand if any of you used in your description or your definition, if you use the word question or questions. I don't see one hand. Well, this is the best way, in my view, to think about a worldview. A worldview is a set of foundational beliefs we hold to be true. I don't know anyone that has a worldview that walks around and says, this is what I believe in, I think it's false. Everybody thinks their worldview is true. But these beliefs, these beliefs answer life's biggest questions and guide our thinking and acting. And you say, isn't that a philosophy of life? Well, philosophy of life does answer questions. That's what philosophy is all about. But in philosophy, those questions and answers have been examined, systematized, and they have been intentionally accepted. Worldviews don't work like that. They develop as, over time, we absorb from our family, from our church, from our <clears throat> uh, the country we live in, from our culture, from television, from other media, all of those things. We absorb beliefs, and they reside in our mind. And so when we, we think of developing a biblical worldview thinking, we're talking about what goes on inside of our mind related to biblical integration. Here's some of the questions. I'm sure you could probably come up with some. Who am I? Or what is a human being? Why am I here? What is my purpose for living? What is the meaning of my personal history? Why was I born where I was born? Why did my parents move when I was young? Why did I go to the school that I went to? What is the meaning of my personal history? Where am I going? What is my destiny? Is there life after death? Or is it dead and gone? What's wrong with our world? What is the major problem that causes hate, crime, war, suffering? This is one of the biggest questions I had before I became a teenager. Before I, not before I became a teenager, before I became a Christian when I was a teenager. And then there's another one. What started it all? Is there a higher being than the human being? Now, this last one is very important in answering the previous four. 
And yet many people do not actually deal with the one at the bottom there. There are three broad starting points to worldviews. They're very broad. Uh, you may recall um, the program The Cosmos on Discovery Channel years ago when Carl Sagan used to come on, and this is what he says, the cosmos is all there is or was or ever will be. People who talk about starting points and worldviews usually use the term what was, what is, and what will be. And that's what he was doing. So what was his starting point? Green. The cosmos. Deepak Chopra, I don't know if you've heard of him, but he's very popular on public television right now. And he's selling his way of life, his answers to worldview questions. He said this on one case. He's a pantheist, by the way. He said, I know myself as the measurable potential of all that was, is, and will be. What is his starting point? The self, yes, I'm a part of God, and so uh, I, am, I am starting with myself. And of course, the scripture says, as they sang in heaven, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. Those are three potential starting points, and they make all the difference in the world. The concept of world, uh, a worldview answers is very important today in colleges and universities. It's beginning to be, not just this one. But um, I've read at least three articles in the last month on colleges and universities calling for classes to answer some of the big questions of life. If you've ever heard of Howard, um, Howard Gardner, he wrote the book on multiple intelligences, and some of you are familiar with that. He's at Harvard, and he says, he wrote an article, why we should require all students to take two philosophy courses. He said, I wouldn't call them philosophy courses. That's too scary. Instead, I would call the requirement something like big questions of life. Every student in their first year of college would choose one course from this list. Now, I'd like you to look at the list and tell me what might be missing. Well, those are the questions, some of which are worldview, most of which are worldview questions. Those are the big questions of life. But the starting point there, you have to guess. Now, a lot of universities are doing what I think is important, and that is helping kids think about helping. I shouldn't call you kids. I'm sorry. Helping young people. You're all kids to me. If you knew how old I was, you'd say it's okay. <laughs> it's okay, Grandma. <laughs> uh, okay. But... Um, let me just show you that what is not being addressed here is a starting point that makes all the difference in the world. It's that which gives meaning to all the other questions. And so what's missing is the question about ultimate, my ultimate starting point. And for us here, obviously, it's the God of, of Scripture, the, the living God who loves us, who gave himself in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ for us. So... Here's a definition of a worldview that I've used for many years, and I, I like this um, definition because it has one concept in it that's very important. It's a set of understandings or concepts that work to provide a coherent frame of reference. Coherence is, sticks together. It makes sense as a whole. It's not scattered all over the place. It's not a hodgepodge of beliefs. And furthermore, he said, these beliefs which we hold consciously or subconsciously about the basic makeup and meaning of the world and life. 
Sometimes they're at the subconscious level, and we don't really know what we believe until uh, we have some event or we read something or we hear something, and we don't know how to address that in our own minds. But we all have a worldview. Now, this is going to date me a bit, but if I go all the way back to 1980, you weren't born yet, most of you, but uh, Sean Lennon, you know who he is. He's a Beatle, was a Beatle. Not the bug, the singing group. Okay, I'm sorry you didn't get that, but, but uh, okay. His son was five years old when he, when he was murdered, not his son, but when John Lennon was murdered on the streets of New York. So his five-year-old son was interviewed by a paparazzi-type journalist, and he was asked about his daddy, and this is what he said. Now daddy is part of God. When you, become, when you, when you die, you become much more bigger because you're part of everything. Daddy is God. What was his worldview at age five already developing? What's his starting point? There's some all-encompassing energy force out there, we'll call it God. We came out of that force and we roll back into that force. 25 years later, at the anniversary of the death of John Lennon, he said the same thing. He had not changed his mind. And some of us grew up in homes where we learned certain things. Um, some of us didn't have Christian parents. Some of us didn't have uh, even the beginnings of a worldview. When I came to know Christ as my Savior at age 15, in my worldview, I already believed God existed, and I believed that Jesus Christ was his son. But I didn't have much other knowledge, and I had to grow. Worldviews grow and develop over time. And a lot of us are at different places in our development. One fascinating comment uh, observation from those that study integration from a secular point of view about the curriculum. This one was written in a book called Toward a Coherent Curriculum. When the curriculum offers a sense of purpose and unity, when it is coherent, young people are more likely to integrate educational experiences into their scheme of meaning, which in turn broadens and deepens the understanding of themselves and the world. It's not a narrow education. When you come here and you have biblical integration, it is not a narrow, it broadens who you are. So Sires, in his fourth um, edition of his book, added this, and I thought it was very important, that our beliefs are expressed as a set of assumptions which may be true, partially true, or entirely false. Now, I'm <clears throat> old, and I still know good and well that in my worldview, my developing worldview, there are things that are definitely true as measured by God's word. There are things that are partially true I still need to understand and know better, especially some of the subpoints under basic worldviews. And there are things that could be absolutely false that God needs to change in my own worldview. And so it's important for us to be um, respectful of one another, knowing we all come from different places and we're at different places in our growth and development. But how do we determine true, partially true, or entirely false? Now, this is a big question in our culture today when my personal truth is the focus. I'll give you an illustration. Some of you know, may know this actress, uh, Michelle Geller prince She's a TV actress, and she was on Buffy and the Vampire, and then more recently on The Crazy Ones on television. She was asked by a reporter about her worldview and her spiritual life. This is what she said. I consider myself a spiritual person. I believe in an idea of God, although it's my own personal idea. 
I find most religions interesting, and I've been to every kind of denomination, Catholic, Christian, Jewish, Buddhist. I've taken bits and pieces from everything and customized it. Sounds like Piscine Patel and the life of Pi. Now, I'm going to ask you this question. Would you say that her worldview starting point is the cosmos, the self, or God? The self. I asked this question to a group of adults just two weeks ago. Do you know what the ones that were willing to give an answer said? God. Why? Because they saw there, I believe in an idea of God. But very interesting, how does Prince determine what she believes is true? She does it on the basis of her own idea, my own personal ideal. I've taken bits and pieces, and so the self has become the central focus. That's where we are in our culture, and that's what we have to fight in our worldview and say, oh God, help me to know your word and to stand upon your word when it comes to basic answers to life's biggest questions. So why do Christians need to intentionally develop the habit of worldview thinking? We see with the culture. And we're subject to the pull of the culture, not just you. You know, everybody says youth or no, no, everybody. Everybody who lives, walks, and listens, and hears. So I'm going to give you a little test. And you can write it down or you can keep it in your mind. I don't care which. But these are things that people say today that reflect a cultural worldview. Just read them, and, and number one and number two, either in your mind or write it down, agree or disagree. Got it? I'm not going to ask you to commit. <clears throat> However, you don't know what that's about. I took something off, off and left it there. That was a frog leaving. Uh -huh. <laughs> I was going to tell you about the frog in the kettle, but never mind. But this cultural mantra, you can be anything you want if you want it badly enough. I'll tell you where I heard it. I told you that I coached here, uh, and I was trying to re recruit a 6'2 girl. You can't coach height, but you can take a 6'2 uh, female, maybe a male who's 6'9", who can't walk and chew gum, and if you can teach them, it's great. And uh, so I was going to try to recruit this girl. So I went to this championship game. It was in a Christian school, and uh, it was a great game. It was nip and tuck, back and forth, and finally one team won. That's what happens in a basketball game. I'm, I'm telling you this in honor of uh, April Madness. Uh -huh. okay. Well, it's March Madness, I know that. But anyway, after the game, the team, that, the team that won was jumping up and down with the thrill of victory, and the team that lost was, you know, because it was a championship game, they were crying. The coach of the losing team called his girls over. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to tell you, he yelled at them. He said, you didn't want it bad enough. You didn't believe in yourself. I almost fell off the chair I was sitting on because this was a Christian school. Then he sent them to the locker room. They didn't even go over and shake hands with the winning team. And I thought, biblical thinking, biblical worldview, and the total curriculum, including athletics, is this what it's about? And it shocked me. But you find it on posters. This was a poster. Believe in your things, all, believe in yourself, all things are possible. 
How about this? This came across my desk when I was uh, dean of the School of Education here. What do you notice in this coloring book? Yeah, can everybody? Yeah, the dog is, uh, okay. Uh, I like dogs. <laughs> okay. You notice that not everyone can be number one in all of those things or any of those things. And so down at the bottom, it writes a little thing to parents, and um, part of it is we hope that this will be a positive influence on your child's early development. It won't be. It could be negative for some if they think that they, the most important thing is to be number one. How about Barney? Oh, yeah, you grew up on him. Anything. You can be anything. I wanted to be 5'11". I ended up to be 5'5". Five five. I thought I'd be a better basketball player. That's it. How about this one? Yeah, just believe in yourself. Now, I love ogre, okay? But, and I know you can be more than you think you can be, but is a better life obtained by believing in yourself? That's, that's something to think. See, these things filter into our mind. And some contemporary worldviews answer this mantra about what is a... In, use this mantra to answer what is a human being and how do we flourish and have a pur purposeful, meaningful life. You can be anything, just believe in yourself. Here's the second one. Did you say yes or no? When I first came here to this school, this was one of the cultural biggies. You have to love yourself first before you can love anyone else. As a matter of fact, in 19... In the, end of the 1900, uh, 19, probably 87, um, the writer of The Closing of the American Mind uh, said that the number one myth that college students come with, he was a, he was a, a college professor at, at Chicago University, he said, is that you must love yourself first, turn inward before you turn outward. Now, if, you, if, if that were really true, we could never love our neighbors in a sense, because the whole idea was to become self-actualized so we could spill over then to others. Well, it takes a lifetime to become who God wants us to be. And in the meantime, he says, love one another, care for one another, be compassionate, forgive one another. This particular mantra can make us the most selfish people in the world. And Jean-Paul Jean Sartre, many years before, said, man is the being whose project it is to become God. And then he was an existentialist, an atheistic existentialist. But pantheists later on uh, infiltrated our culture, and they talked about turning inward because I am God, like Deepak Chopra would also say. So the focus on the self has taken the place of the focus on God. For many, even many Christians, because they, their starting point. Now, I love the voice of Whitney Houston. I did love the voice. Um, and this song that I'm going to show you uh, is called, I don't know if you can see it there, but it's called The Greatest Love of All. When I speak to people who are in their 30s and early 40s and put up these words, they start singing it. Because I know they love it. And, and you, you, you might like the music to it as well. But notice the words. Everybody's searching for a Hebrew. People need someone to look up to. I never found anyone to fulfill my needs, so I learned to depend on me. I found the greatest love of all inside of me. The greatest love of all is easy to achieve. Learning to love yourself is the greatest love of all. 
Now, if I were to distinguish that from a biblical view, I might use scripture that says this, among other things. This is my command, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, and somebody, someone will lay down his life for his friend. And that's what Jesus did, and that's what he wants us to do. The first line of the song, educators love, because it says, show them all the beauty they possess inside, children. And I loved it, too. But I will say this, that I connect that. Do you realize that when we do worldview thinking, we listen, we hear, and we connect those things with, that fit with a biblical worldview, and we distinguish the things that don't? Some people just think that worldview thinking is simply distinguishing. Oh, I don't agree with that. No, no, no. There's so many things with which to agree as you study whatever your disciplines are. And so I would connect that. However, the song concludes this. And if by chance that special place that you've been dreaming of leads you to a lonely place, find your strength in love. Problem is, where's the love? The love is something that I depend on myself for and learn to love myself. Listen, if I had, I'm lonely sometimes. My husband passed away 15 years ago, and I can be lonely. But if I depended on digging inside for my own self-love, no. But... There's a distinguishing thing in my worldview. How great is the love of the Father has lavished on us that we should be called the children of God. Let us love one another, for love comes from God. So one perspective is to turn upward to God. The other perspective is to turn inward, and that's what worldviews are. They're perspectives for life, and they make a huge, huge difference. I found this in a youth book, and it just... Um, haunted me. Listen to your heart. Hear what it has to say. It's time to start. Don't wait another day. Listen to your heart. It won't lead you astray. Trust me, it will. You can't trust your own heart, but you can trust God's heart and what he says in his word. Jeremiah said, the heart is deceitful above all things. Who can know it? And sometimes we don't. I'm guilty of this. I worked in a program when I was a student here. I worked in a program of, that was a a pilot program for Head Start. And I worked in the Kensington area every single day from 2 to 5 in the afternoon. And I used to teach the kids this. You can sing it with me. I am special. I am special. Me, look at me. Special. Special. It is me. It is me. Now I was teaching them incorrect grammar. <laughs> and it dawned on me one day that they had no clue they had no clue as to why they were special. They didn't know that they were created in the image of God. They didn't know that they were very special because of who they were as a human being. And so, this is what I decided to do. Just change the word a little bit. I'm special because God made me. Now that filters into the mind. The first song filters into the mind too. And that's what happens in worldview thinking. It's messy. We don't know where all of the things uh, ha have affected our thinking. Moses asked the question, who am I? And God gave him an answer. I can't speak, Lord. You want me to deliver these people? I can't speak. Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of, e out of Egypt? Oh, Lord, I've never been eloquent. I'm slow of speech and tongue. So God said, 
No, he said, who made your mouth? It is not, is it not I the Lord? Now go, I will help you to speak. I made you, I love you, I have a purpose for you, and I will be with you. I am who I am, Yahweh. Now some people today will say, I am, I am, I am, referring to their self. But God is the only I am. He's the great I am. There is a knowledge base needed in order to develop our own biblically informed worldview. Now, I'm going to skip a couple things here, if you don't mind, because I want to get to one more thing, and I'm see, looking at the clock back there in a nervous wreck. I've talked as fast as I could. Um, I will show you this, that um, a biblical worldview is essentially God's answers to life's biggest questions connected to all of life and learning, not in a parallel fashion. Here's our Bible. Here's our devotions. Here's our chapel time. But in everything that we do in our curriculum and our studies and our athletics and the other programs that are here, and uh, that is what measures our worldview. So when we talk to people, and I, have, I talk to people all the time who don't know the Lord, and, and I say to them, well, this is what God's Word says. And so God's word becomes the foundation, as you sang about in the last song. It becomes the foundation, so it's not my preference versus your preference. It's not my truth versus your truth. It's God's truth we're both accountable to. And it's God's spirit who will work in, in, through his word to help people come to know the Lord. And that's, that is so important when we're sharing with people who do not know the Lord. Okay, so when we see or hear something with which we do not agree, what do we do? What kind of thinking do we practice so that it becomes a habit? Well, human thinking is natural. God created us to think. We think because God thinks. We talk because God talks, he communicates. We have emotions because God does. We're created in his image. And he gave us the capacity to think, and he gave us something to think about, himself and all of his world. So both connecting to and distinguishing from a biblical viewpoint is a form of the mental process of critical thinking. So what you're doing when you think biblically is you're critically thinking using a standard that is God's word. Now, it doesn't mean that you don't critically think about other things and use other standards, but in the case of biblical thinking, it is using God's word. Critical thinking, though, is a learned skill. So I'm going to give you this cartoon and you're going you're gonna to determine what's going on inside of the learner. This would be Linus, and he's doing the thinking, so be ready to share this. I know we're, we're getting down to the end here, but here we go. Goldilocks and the Three Bears is, is what he's learning. When she saw the little house in the woods, she wondered who lived there, so she knocked at the door, and no one answered, so she knocked again. Still no one answered, so Goldilocks opened the door and walked in. There before her in the little room, she saw a table set for three. What do you think will happen? I can't imagine, said Linus. There was a great big bowl of porridge, a middle-sized bowl of porridge, and a little wee bowl of porridge. She tasted the great big bowl of porridge. Oh, this is too hot, she said. Then she tasted the middle-sized bowl of porridge. Oh, this is too cold. Then she tasted the wee little bowl. Oh, this is just right, she said, and she ate it all up. I have a question. About what? Said Lucy. Well, it's in regard to cooling. It would seem to me that if the middle-sized bowl was cold, the little bowl would be cold too, rather than just right. 
Well, I never even brought up the far more obvious point of unlawful entry. <laughs> Linus was thinking. Yeah, he was listening and seeing and paying attention, attending. But what else was going on inside of his mind? What was he doing? Any suggestions? If you do, give me your teacher voice. All right. He was finding related information already in his mind. And what was the related information? It was about what subject? Uh, law. Yeah, you're not supposed to. And ethics, okay. And science. All right. So he was finding that, and he was comparing and contrasting the new information to what he already knew, what was already there. And then he was drawing conclusions and raising questions. That's what biblical thinking is like in terms of the process. And so it's very important as we develop not only the content here to be informed by God's words, so we're growing in our knowledge of God and his answers to uh, life's biggest questions, but also that we're developing the process. Don't be afraid to think about what connects at this subject area. You know, most of our texts are secular texts. Most of them. Everything in those is not necessarily coming from a biblical point of view, but there's much in there that fits with a biblical worldview as well. And so we need to champion those things. Don't throw the baby out with the bath, bath water, as some people one thing they find in a book that is not biblical and they throw it away. And yet there may be some real wonderful things there that you can learn. So, the word critical, kritikos, criterion, those are two Greek words. It's both process and content. We study the standard here at Karen, are we developing the process? Now, if I don't conclude with this, I'll be in big trouble because I told Carolyn Eshelman, I was going to use this. But just two weeks ago, I was, I, uh, the, the students went to Ireland. And when they went to Ireland, here's the report that came back to me, to my inbox. One of the highlights was participating in two different religion and ethics classes in an integrated college. In small groups, they worked with high school students and look at the questions that they were addressing. Where do we come from? What happens after we die? How do we determine right and wrong, and what is our purpose in life? Worldview questions, okay? Then uh, she wrote, our university students engaged in meaningful, non-adversarial, so important, conversations with students who primarily considered themselves atheistic. And following class, the teacher unexpectedly invited our team for coffee and for discussion. At one point, he turned to one of our students and asked, what does it mean to be a Christian and study psychology. Well, what would you have answered? Now, there was a team of I don't know how many, but I don't, and I don't know what they answered. But if a professor asked you that, what would you say? What would you say? I wish we had time to discuss that, but we don't. Didn't give me enough time. <laughs> but I will tell you this. Your answer will depend on two things. Your understanding of psychology. What's it all about? What's the nature of psychology? And your understanding of a biblical view of the human mind and behavior. Because psychology is all about the human mind and behavior. Do you have a biblical view of that? And that's what the answers will focus on. 
While biblical worldview thinking requires biblical study, it requires much more. It all comes together into a unified whole. Some think, and this I'm including, I am, I am closing. Um, some think that developing a worldview is a matter of the heart. There's a big argument going on in those who write on the subject today rather than the mind. And you know I've focused on thinking in the little bit of time that we had to develop that idea. So we could go to the characters of The Wizard of Oz. I'm not sure that that's where we should get our guidelines, but this was an argument for them. Said the scarecrow, I shall ask for brains instead of a heart, for a fool would not know what to do with a heart if he had one. I should take the heart, returned the tin woodman, for brains do not make one happy, and happiness is the best thing in the world. Not a very good worldview necessarily, but you can find the answer to this, and I'm going to ask you to do this as we close. I'm going to ask you to find your answer. Do a little thinking. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and the greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the laws of the prophets hang on these three commands. Era, what's a mistake there? Two commands. Which two? Which one is first? This is the first. It's singular. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. And this is so important. In our day and age, when everything is about feelings, God has given us a mind so that we can understand his word, so that we can get to know him much better. That's a false di dichotomy. So head and heart and hand, this, this verse is very precious to me. Teach me your way, I need to know something, Lord, that I may rely on your faithfulness. How will I know God's faithfulness if I don't know something about God? How will I know God's love if I don't know his word? And when we sang about the word of God being a sure foundation earlier today, it becomes our standard. It's outside of ourselves, and it, it makes for... Um, that the way world thinking should take place. So in biblical worldview thinking, we develop the habit of connecting and distinguishing a Christian worldview from other prevailing worldviews we hear and see in our culture so that we can have a renewed mind, be not conformed to the system of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of our mind so that we can love God and love others more. Thank you for letting me go fast. Oh, no, no, no. no. I, I was asked to pray before you leave. May I pray? All right. Thanks. Father, we love you. We thank you that we can come into your presence through your Son, the Lord Jesus. We want to have the mind of Christ. We want to know your word. 
but we want to live it before others and 